Our communion meditation is in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this prayer, and we pray that you would apply it in our lives, have us to meditate on this, to meditate on you who you are and what you've done. We give you thanks for your word and for your presence in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. I have grown accustomed to giving a recap because normally it's several weeks between messages. And so I'll give one even though if you were here last Sunday, you heard the last message. This is about Hannah's prayer. And so we begin with Hannah being miserable in chapter 1 because she's being tormented by her rival, Penina. Hannah has no children, and Penina has some to the same man. She is comforted by Eli, the high priest, when she pours her heart out before him. God answers her prayer, gives her a son, Samuel, and she abides by her promise, gives him back to the Lord in service in the temple. So now we have Hannah's prayer, starting in chapter 2. So she begins by rejoicing that she is saved in verse 1. She thanks God for his righteousness, for his holiness, for his uniqueness in verse 2. She then chides unbelievers, other people, and that they ought to um, recognize the fact that God rules on this earth. Then last week, we talked about the reversals that are faced because of this. Because God rules on this earth, he will turn things around. And I believe that he did for Hannah and probably for Penina. And that brings us to our text today, verse 6. The Lord kills and makes alive. Now, this, the Lord kills, it isn't what you'd think. It isn't just saying that the Lord kills like other people might kill. What this means is that really it is the Lord alone who kills. The Lord kills, not like others do. God in the garden pronounced a death penalty upon all flesh and he carries that out steadily throughout time. And he meets out death to everybody in the flesh at the moment that he wants to. God does what he wants. All death is God's doing. Now, we brought it upon ourselves because of disobedience, and yet it is God that owns all life 
and brings death at the appropriate time. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so here we're obviously speaking about humans, that God has ordained the time span for all of us humans. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? So now here we see that the same diligence with which God rules over humans circumscribing the span of their lives. He does even for sparrows. So all life is in God's hands, which means that God extinguishes life when he wants. The Lord kills and makes alive. God alone creates life. Mankind toys with us, the DNA of life. I was babysitting Hudson yesterday. I don't know, maybe this is the first time I've used him in an illustration, but he's part of the family now, so maybe he'll get used to it. Maybe he'll live to regret me being up here. But he pulls these books off the shelf, and yet his primary pleasure apparently is in stomping on them then, because I'll try to read to them, and he loses interest in that like that, and then he's just kind of walking around, stepping on books. And uh, I didn't realize that they'd recently implemented a rule not allowing him to do that, so I wasn't enforcing it. But I was trying to protect the books. And so, see, that is how mankind is with what God has given us. Even as advanced as we are, it's like us ripping stuff down off shelves and stomping on them. That more describes humans, especially when they're wielding it apart, obviously, from God's direction and power. The Chinese under Mao in 1958 declared a war against four pests. The pests were mosquitoes, flies, rats, and sparrows. Now, it's really hard we know from experience, to eradicate the first three, mosquitoes, flies, and rats. But they were fairly successful in eradicating sparrows from all of China. Everybody, every Chinese person was essentially employed by Mao to kill sparrows. So little boys would kill them with slingshots, men would kill them with guns, they would gong such that they're disturbing the sparrow's rest. They would keep them flying. They would keep them in the air until they fell to the earth dead from exhaustion and starvation. So the Chinese were very successful at eliminating many, 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 many sparrows, much to their regret later, when insects overran the entire country. Locusts ate all their crops, and people starved. The government, even at the time, acknowledged that as many as 12 to 15 million people had starved, but now that much of that information has been released to the public, it's more likely that 45 million Chinese starved during this. Now, what's ironic about this is that this was pretty much one of the first steps in what Mao termed the Great 
leap forward for the Chinese people. And so he began by killing sparrows, allowing insects to overrun the country and starve to death 45 million people. One Western man who studied this said that he found one site where the people were starving to death and they ate mud. And he said, that is a horrible way to die because the mud gets in your system, your body sucks the moisture out, and then you die because you now have your intestines essentially filled with concrete. It's a very, very painful way to die. So Mao thought he knew better. He thought he could eliminate these sparrows, these pests. We know from what Jesus said that not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from God's will. So it was essentially God's will that those Chinese would kill all those sparrows and then bring about the death of 45 million Chinese citizens. Isn't it amazing? I mean, our God rules over us. He reigns over this earth. The very next clause says, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. All life is under God's control. The grave, of course, we're speaking of humans. The dignity of burial, going down to the grave. And if there is anything that I marvel about being a Christian, it is that all human life has this beginning and end, and God alone dictates the seconds when people die, and then obviously their purpose is complete. We feel so incomplete. We that have the death of loved ones, it feels so incomplete. Why did they die now? Especially if they're young. We are mystified by death. Yet God is not. God uses it for his purpose. He brings down to the grave and brings up. Some of the commentators comment on this and they perceive that what's being said is that God brings down to the grave near death, but some he rescues from near death brings up. I don't see that. I don't believe that's what the text is saying. It's pointing ahead to resurrection. It's the fact that God lays all humans low in the grave, and it is God that will raise them up. We serve the God who controls all life, human life, animal life, plant life. Ecclesiastes 6-7 says, All labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. When we come to the table, we come to eat a spiritual meal primarily. It is food, it is crackers and wine, but yet we seek the spiritual nourishment from it. And Ecclesiastes says that we get no spiritual nourishment from food. But obviously this is the only exception. This is the meal where though we're eating something physical, we're seeking something spiritual. So let's go to the God of life and remind ourselves as a community, as individuals, that he loves us, that he wants what's good for us, and he seeks our spiritual good by giving us this meal. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word that has filled this world 
and Lord, your Holy Spirit that fills our hearts and applies the power of your word to it. We thank you, Father, that your word is powerful. It will do all that it is intended to do. We thank you for the gift of life, and we pray, Lord, that we would not take it for granted, but that we would regard it as something very special. Even though life can be very, very common, it seems, we thank you, Lord, that we do live on this big blue marble that you made. It is filled with life in a universe that is filled with non-life. We thank you, Father, for this gift you've given. We pray that we would use it wisely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.